As you can see on the screen, the lesson's entitled, What Shall I Render Unto the Lord? And this phrase comes out of a verse in Psalm 116 and verse 12. We're going to start actually in Mark chapter 12, though, in verse 17, where Jesus makes this statement. Jesus answering said unto them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. And we're going to look a little bit later in this message tonight about the full context of this passage, but I just want us to recognize as we begin that Jesus makes a statement here that certain things we are to render to Caesar, those that belong to Caesar, for us that would be our government, and then other things belong to God, and that the responsibility is that we are to render those things to God. What does the word render mean? Very simply, it simply means to give, give away, give up. Uh, so when, when the scripture says, render to Caesar, that means give to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar and give to God the things that belong to God. In Psalm 116 and verse 12, David wrote this question and he said, what shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? And that's the question that I'd like you to ponder for a few minutes this evening. What will you render unto the Lord for all of the benefits that he has given to you? What are you willing to give Him? And as we consider those blessings and those things that we have from God, I want us to remember that those things that we enjoy in life, whether it be our physical life and temporal blessings or eternal blessings, all things come from God. God is the creator of all things. We are only here because He has blessed us with life. We are only here and breathing because He breathed into the Adam's nostrils the breath of life. And so began His creation of mankind. And so everything ultimately that we have in this life is His and belongs to Him and is from Him. In James chapter 1 and verse 17, the Scripture says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Now we go to work every day and we earn an income and we buy things with that income. We buy houses that we live in and cars that we drive and possessions that we use each day and we tend to think about of those things as ours. They are ours. We earned them. And there's some truth to that. Certainly God has given us free will in this life. He's given us the ability to either work hard, as He's instructed and encouraged us to. And when you work hard at something, generally there's a reward that comes from that. When you work hard at a job, you're going to earn an income. When you do a very good job and work very hard, a lot of times that's when you get promotions and that's when you get raises and your income increases. So there's certainly free will involved that God has given us. We could choose not to work hard and that income's not going to happen in those raises and those promotions aren't going to happen. And so certainly some of that is due to the effort that we put in that God has encouraged us to do. But regardless of what we have or we don't have, we simply need to remember that the only reason we have anything is because God created us in the first place. God created all of these things. It's all His. He's the creator of all things. And so as we consider our blessings and we consider that question that David asked, what will I render unto the Lord for all His benefits towards me? I want to ask you tonight, what has God done for you? What benefits can you look in your life and say, I recognize that God has blessed me in this way? Now I want us to just consider a few things. Our temporal blessings, our families, our possessions, those things that we have in this life. Consider what Jesus said in Mark chapter 10 and verse 29. And Jesus answering said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake in the Gospels, but he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. Now I want us to recognize one small phrase there in verse 30. He says, he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time. 
And then Jesus says, of course, we're going to reap the eternal blessings as well. But what Jesus is teaching us is that when we live the right kind of way, we're going to see immense blessings. And it may not be in the way that the world thinks of blessings. Because there may be situations where you have to leave father or mother or brother or sister or family members in order to be a Christian, in order to live for the gospel and live for God. But if you do that, you gain brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers in the church. You gain much more than you had to leave. There may be people that have to sacrifice houses or sacrifice lands or sacrifice uh, the potential for a, a better income or those things because you're trying to make good spiritual decisions. You're going to be blessed for doing that. And those temporal blessings, the the people that we have in our life, the relationships that we have, those things that we own, all of that we ought to be thanking God that we have the ability to have and be willing and ready to sacrifice those things for the gospel, but to recognize that Jesus mentions we will be blessed in this time. Now, ultimately, the blessing comes in eternal life and heaven, and that's what we're shooting for. But Jesus also teaches, and it's not the prosperity gospel. It doesn't mean give this much money and you're going to receive a hundredfold in your bank account tomorrow. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying it's going to be a good, blessed life when you live it for Christ. And so we just simply need to remember as Christians that those temporal blessings that we have in life, those physical things, they come from Him, and we need to thank God for those things. We need to thank Him for our very life. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. What do you enjoy about life? What are your hobbies? What are the things that you get up, and once you're done with work and you're done with the grind of the things that you have to do, what are those things that you want to do? Now, maybe you're someone in the crowd that gets to do what they want to do for work or, or every day and enjoy that all day long, and that's fantastic if that's the case. But maybe you still have to work and do some things maybe you'd rather not do. But when you have that time to choose, what do you do? What do you enjoy? You know, I think about the, the hobbies and things that I enjoy doing. And, and uh, even though I'm quite out of shape at this point, and it's, it's a lot more hustle. You know, I enjoy getting out with the guys and playing basketball. Really love doing that. That's a, that's a great time. It's a great time to spend with one another. I enjoy um, going on trips and traveling. Leah and I were able to uh, take a trip this year. Love doing that. Love spending time together, just us or just our family. Uh, love game nights uh, at home where I just get to play with the kids and spend some time with them. Love church events and functions where we get to get together and do things together. There's a million things that I could list that I enjoy doing in this life. What are those things that you enjoy? Do you thank God for those things? Do you thank God that you have the breath to breathe to be able to enjoy that? Because ultimately, it is because of Him that you're here. It is because of Him that you're able to feel joy. It's because of Him that you're able to have fun. It's because of Him that you're able to be happy. And so thank God for those temporal blessings and for your very life. And thank Him, of course, for that eternal life that He's given to you. John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How often do you thank God for that? That's the ultimate blessing, right? I mean, really, everything else about our life pales in comparison to this blessing. The blessing of sending Jesus Christ down as a Savior that would die on a cross to save you and I from our sins and our wrongs. Our sins and our wrongs that have separated us from God, Isaiah 59 verse 2 tells us. Our iniquities have separated between us and our God. Our sins have hid His face from us that He will not hear. And so we deserve that separation. We deserve ultimately eternal destruction. But God has blessed us with a Savior. Are you thankful for that? 
So as we think about this question that David asked, what will I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? Catalog those benefits. Remember and think about those wonderful benefits and blessings that you have in life. And then let's ask the next part of that. What will you give in return? God has done so much for us. God has done so much for me in my life. And I know if you look at your life that you'll agree with that statement in your life as well. God has done so much for us. What are we willing to do for Him? Well, what does God ask for? You know, ultimately it boils down to Matthew chapter 16 and what Jesus says here in verse 24. It says, Then said Jesus unto His disciples, If any man will come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow after Me. See, very simply, what Jesus and what God is asking for from us is submission. It's choosing Him before ourselves. It's really a priority, right? It's not making us the priority, but it's making Him the priority. It's saying, yes, I want to follow you, Jesus, and therefore I'm willing to say no to myself. I'm willing to deny those things that I want more. I'm willing to deny the passions of the flesh. I'm willing to deny those sins that I really would like to be doing. I'm willing to deny those things and to take up the cross and to follow after you. Think about submission. The definition of submission is to relinquish your will to another or to yield to the power of another. And when we think about submission, there's a lot of examples. The government, uh, our bosses at work, husbands for wives, parents for kids. All of us have somebody we're supposed to be submissive to, right? And the scripture teaches all of these things. All of us are subject to the government, right? Unless the government is trying to force us to do something unscripturally, then we take up the the mantra from Acts chapter 5 and we say we ought to obey God rather than man. But in any case other than that, we're supposed to be submissive to the government and to our rulers. That means we're supposed to pay taxes. We mentioned Mark 12, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. We're supposed to pay taxes when the government says you owe taxes. We're supposed to stop when the police officer shines his lights behind us on the road. We're supposed to pull over and be respectful and do the things that the officer tells us to do because we're supposed to be submissive. We're supposed to yield our will to the power of another. It wouldn't be our will to get a ticket. Our will would be not to get a ticket. But the only way we're going to not get a ticket there is if we somehow try to outrun him and get away. And that in and of itself is not a great idea, right? You're going to get in worse trouble for that. The answer is be submissive. Yield your will to another's. And so you've got to say no to yourself and say yes to the power that's above you. Our boss at work, same thing is true, right? If you wouldn't submit yourself to whatever your boss is telling you to do, how long are you going to have that job? How long are you going to be able to earn an income there if you refuse to do what your employer is telling you to do? You're not going to have a job for long because employers want employees that submit to what they want them to do. And husbands and wives, parents and children, we recognize the importance in relationships of submissiveness and of being willing to submit. I think about as a teenager, being submissive to parents, that was a a challenging thing at times. You know, I had a will that was all my own. And uh, there were a lot of times where my will conflicted with what my parents' will was. And it took a lot to say, okay, I'll just do it your way. Because a lot of times I'd look at something and I'd think there's a better way to do this. There's a different way that I'd rather do this. But ultimately, as a child, what was my responsibility? To say my will is not as important as your will. And I didn't always do that the way that I should have back then. And I don't always do that today the way that I should with God. But ultimately, that's what he's looking for, right? He's looking for us to say, I'm willing to sacrifice my will for yours. Are you doing that? Are you yielding your will to God's? You know, we see an example of this in 
2 uh, Kings chapter 5 with a man named Naaman. You probably remember this story. Naaman was a very important man in Syria. Uh, verse chapter 1 of 2 Kings 5 says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance into Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. So you've got Naaman, who's captain of the host of the king of Syria. He's basically the general over the armies of Syria. Very important guy in his nation. His wife has a Hebrew or Israelite maidservant. And Naaman has a problem. He contracts leprosy. And so that disease is eating away at him. And this little maid that's from Israel, right, she says, if only he could make it back to my homeland, because there's a prophet in the land of Israel that could heal him of that leprosy. Well, this starts a chain reaction where Naaman desires to go and to be healed, obviously. And the king of Syria sends a letter to the king of Israel and says, I'm sending my servant Naaman to Israel and I expect him to be healed. Now the king of Israel gets that letter and he rents his clothes, the scripture says. That means he, he tears his clothes out of distress because the king of Israel is going, how am I supposed to heal this guy of leprosy? Well, there was a prophet in the land, the prophet Elisha. And Elisha heard about the king's distress and sent to the king and said, when Naaman arrives here, send him to my doorstep and I'll take care of it. And so we pick up the story in verse 9 of 2 Kings chapter 5. It says, now Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, and he went away and said, Behold, I thought, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. So here's Naaman... He hears the instruction from the prophet. Now remember, he's made a long journey. He's brought a lot of gold. He's brought a lot of possessions to pay for this healing, to, to have this leprosy, this life-threatening, this fatal disease that he has, to have it removed. And he gets to the door, and Elisha doesn't even come out to greet him. So the prophet doesn't even meet him. Elisha sends a messenger to the door that says, go dip in the Jordan River seven times. Well, this angers Naaman. Because he's a man of status. He's a man of power. And Elisha wouldn't even come and greet him. And now he's expected to go dip himself seven times in a dirty river. He says, there's waters back home that are a lot cleaner and a lot better I could have dipped myself in. Why am I going to do this? And so he turns away in a rage. He also expected Elisha to come out and to do some great spectacle, to make a spectacle in front of the people. He said, I thought surely he'd come out, he'd call the name of his, the Lord his God, he'd strike his hand over the place. I mean, this would be a great spectacle for all to see. And instead, I'm supposed to go dip in the Jordan. I mean, how disappointing. What a letdown. Thankfully, Naaman had some servants that were wiser than him. Verse 13, it says, His servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean? Then he went down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again unto the flesh, like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Now, recognize here as Naaman has turned away in wrath and in anger, upset at the fact that Elisha did not come make some great spectacle out of this healing, Naaman still had his leprosy. And if Naaman had traveled all the way home without dipping in the Jordan River seven times, angry at the fact that it didn't go the way that he thought it should, Naaman would have still had his leprosy. And he would have died from it. But because he heeded the word of his servant, who said, look... 
if Elisha had come out and said, go do some great spectacular thing, you would have done it. You would have done everything in your power to do whatever he told you to do. Why not just go dip seven times? And when Naaman went down to the Jordan River and he dipped himself seven times in that water, on that seventh time when he came out, I imagine him looking at his hands because I think that would be the most natural thing to do as you come out of that water and he looks at his hands where leprosy a lot of times begins at the, at the, the tips of your body. And he would have looked at his hands and instead of seeing that dying flesh that he had before, he saw clean, fresh, new skin like the skin of a small baby. And he was clean. He was healed. But that healing did not happen until he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan River, just as God had instructed him to through Elisha. If he hadn't submitted, if he hadn't just relinquished his will to the will of God, that healing would have taken place. You know, the same thing is true for you and I. We have a will, and sometimes we stick to that will, and we think that we've got it figured out, and we've got the best way, and, and surely God doesn't really mean that. And, and we can make excuse after excuse. Naaman could have made all the excuses in the world, but it wouldn't have saved him and it wouldn't have healed him of that leprosy. Not until he submitted to the will of God. And so I want to encourage you this evening, submit to the will of God because God rewards that type of submission. He, he rewards people that are willing to say, your will before mine. That are willing to say, you're my priority, not me. Matthew 16 and verse 25 says, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it and whosoever will lose his, his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of the Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Anybody that is willing to sacrifice in this life, to submit their will, to follow God, they're rewarded for that. He says there in verse 27, he shall reward every man according to his works. And we've already looked at a passage where Jesus described what that reward would be. One will have a blessed life here, even if this life, it, it faces, we face persecution in it. Even if we have to die for Christ, it's still a blessed life. It was a blessed life for the apostles. It was a blessed life for those Christians that were martyred. Horrible things that they went through, but a blessed life because not only were they able to live and to die for Christ, but now they're enjoying their eternal reward with Him, and so we will as well. And our eternal reward is waiting. We will be rewarded according to the things that we do here and the choices that we make here. So as we consider that question that David asked, what shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits towards me? And we think about that catalog of benefits, of blessings that we've discussed here tonight. All the things that God has done for you. What are you willing to do for him? What are you willing to give? Are you willing to give your will to him? Are you willing to submit to him and just do the things that he is asking you to do. I want to give you a couple of suggestions before we close the message tonight of things that you need to be willing to give to God. I believe that you need to be willing to give Him your time, that you should render to Him your time. And time is something that I think is much more valuable the older that you get, right? Because you see the clock winding down. And I'm not old by any stretch of the imagination, but I can tell you at nearly 31 years old, I value time a lot more than I did when I was 15 or when I was 20. And because the older you get and the more life experience you get, you begin to see that really one of the most important and valuable resources that you have is your time. And wasting time is such a shame. But spending your time on those things that are important, that's where blessings in life happens. Spending time with your family, with your wife, with your husband. 
spending time with your kids and training them and just enjoying life with them. Spending time focused on your Christianity and your spiritual life. Reading scripture and doing good deeds for people and being a giver. All of those things can truly enhance and bless your life, but they take time. And it takes time away from the things that you could be doing selfishly for yourself. Ecclesiastes 2 verse 11 says, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. Now Solomon looked at all of the ways in which he had spent his time, and he said, ultimately it was all vanity. Ultimately there was no profit. Solomon's conclusion was that the ultimate way to spend your time is fearing God and keeping His commandments. And that that is ultimately the most important thing. That goes back to that idea of submission that we've talked about tonight. Where do you spend your time? What's most important to you? You know, applying yourself to something will generally achieve you better results. Applying time to something will make you better at something. Whatever that hobby is that you enjoy... You know, if you enjoy golfing, you have to go out and you have to actually practice your swing and you have to actually go out on the golf course. You have to play over and over and over to get good, right? Even at your job, you're not good at your job day one, are you? You have to learn it. You have to work at it. You have to gain the knowledge and experience. You have to spend time. You want to be a good Christian? You want to have a life that's enhanced with blessings from God, a life that's filled with joy and happiness, regardless of what you're doing during the day, it takes time. It takes dedicated time to say, I'm going to learn it. That means I'm reading His Word. It means I'm at church. I'm listening to lessons. I'm singing when there's singing. I'm listening when there's prayers. I'm, doing, I'm engaging myself, and I'm spending my time doing that. Solomon's conclusion was, don't waste it on all this other stuff. Now, there's other things that we have to do. We have to spend time on things. We have to spend time at a job to, in order to make an income to be able to, to live and to pay for the things that we need to pay. And certainly, that's a very spiritual and scriptural thing to do. If any man will not work, neither shall he eat. I mean, the scriptures are clear that we should be out working and providing for ourselves. But ultimately, we don't need to be too focused on a job. Because a job is not the most important thing in life. We don't need to be too focused on a hobby. Because hobbies might be fun here, but ultimately they won't get us far. What we need to be focused on, what we need to make a priority with our time, is our Christianity and our spiritual life. And submitting to God the way that He's asked us to. I want to encourage you to give Him your effort as well. Effort meaning that we really engage and work hard at spending that time in a valuable way. Titus chapter 2, verse 14 says, "...who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works." And a lot of times I think with this zealous of good works, we get complacent. We get comfortable in our life. And we see opportunities maybe. We see ways in which we could be doing good for someone. We see opportunities to do a good work for somebody, but we get comfortable and we get complacent. And I want to encourage you not to do that. Don't get comfortable. Don't get complacent. Don't get too focused in on your daily and weekly and monthly and yearly routine where it's just all the same. Look for opportunities to change it up, to spend time and spend effort doing something for someone else. Be a giver. You know, this, the scriptures, of course, are full, are, are full of, of wisdom regarding this, but external and secular studies have shown it as well. The happiest people are the people that aren't focused selfishly on themselves. But the happiest people are the ones who spend time and effort on others. 
encourage you to do that. Don't be selfish, be selfless. Submit to God and be the type of person that he's asked you to be. Be zealous of good works. Encourage relationships. Spend time getting to know people. Spend time encouraging people and motivating those that may be sad or depressed or hurting and be there for them. Spend the time and the effort that it takes. And when you put time into your Christianity and your spiritual life and you put effort into it, you will see the benefits of that in your life. And ultimately, I think it all boils down to this, that what we should render to the Lord and what we should give to Him for all of His benefits is our very life. That we should be willing to give Him everything. Everything about ourselves. Mark chapter 12, verse 13, I told you we'd go back and we'd read the full context of this statement where Jesus says to give to Caesar that which belongs to Caesar and God that which belongs to God. So here's the context. In verse 13 it says, And they send unto him certain of the Pharisees and of the Herodians to catch him in his words. And when they were come, they say unto him, Master, we know that thou art true and carest for no man, for thou regardest not the person of men, but teachest the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Shall we give or shall we not give? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said unto them, Why tempt ye me? Bring me a penny that I may see it. And they brought it. And he saith unto them, Whose is the image and superscription? And they said unto him, Caesar's. And Jesus answering said unto them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. And when I read this passage and that phrase there where Jesus says to render to God the things that are God's, I thought, what is Jesus talking about here? What does he mean by the things that are God's? I mean, because we've talked about ultimately everything is God's, right? But Jesus makes a distinction here. He says, there are some things that you give to Caesar. There are some things that you give to God. And how he defined that was by asking them to bring him a coin. He said, bring me a coin. And they brought him a coin and he says, whose is the image and superscription? What he was asking was whose name is on it and whose picture is on it. And they looked at the coin and they said, well, it says Caesar. And it has Caesar's picture on it. And Jesus says, well, then it's Caesar's. Give it to Caesar. It has Caesar's name on it and it has Caesar's image on it. It belongs to Caesar. But then he says, give to God that which belongs to God. I want you to consider this evening that just like that coin bore the name and the image of Caesar, you and your life tonight, you bear the name and the image of God upon you. In Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 7, the scripture says, even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. God said he made us, he created us, and we are called by his name, that we bear the name of God upon us simply because we were created by him. We are his. Like that coin belonged to Caesar because it had Caesar written on it, so you belong to God because you have God written on you. He created you. He made you. And not only that, but if you're a Christian here tonight, you recognize that you bear the name of Christ by calling yourself a Christian, just as the Christians in Antioch were called. And so when we bear the name of God by being created by Him, and we bear the name of Christ by being saved by Him, we are literally like that coin that says Caesar across it. God and Christ are written across us. But not only that, we bear His image as well. All the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, it says God created man in His own image. In the image of God created He him, male and female created He them. And I want you to know tonight that just as that coin belonged to Caesar because His name and His image was on it, so you belong to God because His name and His image are on you. And you have no right to choose to render or give anybody else, including yourself, your time, your effort, and your will. Give those things to God. 
You are His completely and fully. He has made you. He has formed you. He has given you the ability to live this life, to experience the highs and the lows, to enjoy a job, to enjoy hobbies, to enjoy family and relationships, and ultimately has given you an opportunity to enjoy eternal life. You belong to Him. Don't be selfish. Give to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar. Give to God that which belongs to Him. That's you. That's me. That's our very existence the breath that we breathe, our very life. It's all His. Don't be selfish with it. He's entrusted free will to you and allowed you to choose what you'll do with your life. So I ask you tonight, what are you doing with your life? What does that mean for us that we, earn, that we have His image and His name? It means that our responsibility is to live our life for Him, to give everything that we have to Him. And ultimately, it all boils down to this reason. There will come a day when this life is over. When either we die and our bodies are buried in the ground, or Jesus returns. But regardless of which situation we face, we're going to soon face a judgment. And that judgment before God is going to be based upon the decisions that we make while we're here. Romans chapter 14 and verse 11 says, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. And I would tell you this evening that one day you will give your everything to him. One day you will be completely 100% at the mercy of God. One day you will bow the knee before God, and you will confess his name. But if you wait until that moment to bow the knee, and you wait until that moment to confess his name, you wait until that moment to give yourself to him, it's too late. And at that time of judgment, you've already chosen while you were here and you chose wrong. And if you wait until then, then eternal destruction is in your future. Don't wait until then. Don't wait until you're forced to bow and to confess. Do it willingly. Use the free will that God has given you to render to God that which belongs to God. Your very existence, your very life. Give it to Him tonight.